0: Well, hey, good morning, Mercy Church. Happy New Year uh, to you. Man, today is not just the first day of a new year, but really... Man, for Mercy Church, this is the first day in a whole new season of ministry for us. If you're newer here around Mercy, let me kind of catch you up as to to what's been happening. About a couple of years ago, really right at two years ago, we just ran out of space uh, as a church in terms of our weekend facilities. We were just maxed out. And so we began praying as leaders, really our whole church, Lord, would you give us more room to continue to reach people? Because we have this great hope of the gospel message, wanted more people to, to hear it and to respond to it. And so we were praying that prayer, and last year, again, if you've been with us and followed along with our story, last year, a church approached us here in the area about gifting their facility to us, which was wild. It just wasn't what we were expecting. We were so thankful for it, and so we we prayed through it and said, you know, Lord, this isn't the answer to prayer. Maybe we thought you were going to give, but I'll tell you, that seems to be the way the Lord always works in my life right? Uh, I pray, I ask the Lord for something, the answer is just a little bit different. So we pray and, and this is what happens. And so we received that, welcomed this church into our own church to be a part of this mission. And we, we knew what that meant was since the facility was the same size, as the one that we were already working with, we knew we couldn't all just move over there. And so after a lot of prayer and talking with a lot of folks, we made the decision that we would meet as one church in two locations on the weekend. And what that would do for us is we wouldn't just increase our capacity. The Lord had something bigger than that for us. We're actually being able to double our capacity to reach people. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've launched Mercy Church Providence Road, the new location, which was that old church facility. And today... Today, we are standing in an answer to God's prayer as we meet as one church in two locations, doubling our seating capacity, doubling our kids' ministry capacity, doubling our capacity to do ministry as a church. Should we just join me for just a second and thank God for what he has done for us? It's just an awesome, awesome answer answer to prayer. But uh, now let me say something. Let me say something as your pastor. This moment, I want us to recognize what needs to happen. There's a couple of things I'm going to call you to. The first, I want you to pray. Specifically, if you're a member of the Mercy family, if you kind of newer with us, you don't have to jump in on this one, of course, but I want to ask you to pray for your church, pray for its leaders, because in this moment, the enemy would love nothing more than to destroy and tear down through disunity what the Lord is doing among us. And so I want to ask you to pray really, maybe for the month of January, pray for two minutes every day. Of course, I want you to always be praying um, for your church, but maybe for the month of January, two minutes every day as a part of your prayer time, be praying for your church pray that the Lord would protect us, pray that we would lay down our preferences and pick up God's purpose and God's mission and that that would reign over us instead of our preferences. Look, this is new for all of us, the new season for all of us, plenty of things that could go wrong. And instead, I want to pray that we would be unified around God's mission together. And in light of that, here's the second thing. Listen, this didn't just happen. God didn't give us this moment so that we would shrink back and settle in. All right, he gave us this moment so that we would charge ahead in his mission to reach people. And so I want to pray, I want to pray, and I want to to challenge you to to make this the most courageous year yet you've ever had in ministry as a part of God's church. All right, that means in your own personal life and sharing the gospel, we want this to be the most evangelistically fruitful year we've ever had. There are people that we know and love that need the hope that we have. And then at the same time, I want to challenge you to step off the sidelines and into ministry here at Mercy Church. Listen, we got to double our ministry teams in order to make this thing work, especially on our weekends. And so I want to challenge you, if you've been sitting on the sidelines and watching for a little while, now is the time. All right, now is the time. Today is the time for you to step in and join what God is doing here. Be a part of this church family. Um, you can do that. Look, really simple. Let me make it really easy for you. If you're at Providence Road, talk to Pastor Scott. And if you're at our Independence Campus, talk to Pastor Richard. All right? Plain and simple. Uh, this is an exciting time in the life of our church, and I, just, I want everybody to be in, locked arm in arm together on it. All right? With that said, let's jump into 2019. All right? For the month of January, we're going to be looking at the Psalms. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and hop over to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. This is our third year in a row where we've opened in the Psalms. Now, here's why. The Psalms are like a collection of poetic prayers that reveal to us a very personal relationship that these writers seem to have with God. It's almost like we get to look in on them as they interact directly with God. And y'all, they celebrate God. Sometimes they cry out to God. They're angry with God. They're they're sad sometimes. Then they they celebrate. And sometimes they just kind of sit in reverent awe of God. And what you see in all of this is that God is not some abstract force. He's not a school subject for these writers. He is a close, personal God that they walk through their day-to-day with. And listen, there's a shift that I'm hoping will happen for some of you that is going to reset your spiritual life this month here in January. See, listen, people often approach church, Bible, prayer, things like that. They approach them as a way for them to know more about God. Listen, that's why some of you came in here today. All right. You came in here to learn about God. And maybe you're brand new to church because you're trying to figure that out. But what can often happen is that we can treat God like a subject matter that you study. And church is the classroom where you come to hear the professor with dashing good looks, who couldn't be here today, so I'm going to preach for you. (laughs) (laughs) You come to hear him teach about the subject, right? And to teach you from the textbook. And then he recommends additional textbooks to you. The church even offers more classes where you can learn more about the subject. We offer vacation Bible schools where you can drop your kids off to learn more. And in all of that, you can be around church for years learning about God. And listen, let me say, it's not bad to know about God. All right. I hope as a result of being a part of Mercy Church, you grow more than ever than you ever have in your knowledge of God. But the Christian message says that God is not a subject matter. He is a person. And not only is he, a, is he a person, the message of the Bible is that that person, that God is with us. And the reason, listen, the reason why God hasn't been very helpful to some of you is because you've only ever seen him as a subject matter. Listen, that is why so many people walk away from faith when they leave their homes. It's because God wasn't helpful to them, didn't see how he was helpful. It's because he it was a subject matter. If we're honest, the subject matter is easy to put on the shelf, right? Because God as a subject becomes at best a set of kind of vague moral guidelines or at worst, the set of rigid rules that you know you're going to break and you already got enough going on in your life. Why do you need that guilt on top of everything else? In that regard, God wouldn't be helpful. If anything, he'd be a burden. And that's because God is only a subject that you know about. And so what I want for you in January is a corrective shift where God stops being a subject matter and starts being a person, a person who is with you. Listen, you were never meant to just know about God. You were meant to know God to know the person, to have a relationship with him where you walk with him in the day in and day outs of life, sharing the highs and lows and building trust and experiencing the things that turn strangers into close friends. That's why God uses language in the Bible to describe how he relates to us. He says things like father, friend, spouse. These are the labels he gives himself talking about how he relates to us. He's a person and listen, the story of the Bible is God coming down right here on the ground and being with his creation, with his people, right? In the garden, you have God walking with Adam and Eve in the old test. In the old Testament, you have God coming down and dwelling in the tabernacle and in the temple in the middle of the camp with his people. And then in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you have Jesus who comes down as a man and is with us. And all the hurt that we experience, he's right there with them. And when Jesus comes out of the grave, resurrects, goes back to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit who is with us walking with us inside of us, guiding us every single day. And the way the Bible finishes is Jesus breaking back, back through the crowds, um, through the clouds. Listen to me this morning. He's coming down at the end of days and he's going to in triumphant victory dwell with us. That's the story of scripture. The God of the Bible is a personal God and he created you to know him. That's the shift for January 2019, that you'll kick off this year not just knowing about God, but knowing Him. Yes. Because listen, the power of God to change your life, it's not just in knowledge of God, the power is in the presence of God with you. Yeah. And that, listen, let's just this be real for a second. This whole idea of God being this personal God is with you might be a little bit different if you've never considered it and worked through it before. That's why I wanna just, encourage you to stick with us the whole month of January. Look, we're going to be just this month in the Psalms. you are brand new to church. Just stick it out for this month. And I really want to encourage you. Look, our community groups are going to be going through this material um, in their groups. And it's really good to have some people to walk through. All right, how's this applying to your life? Um, How could this apply to my life? And kind of work out what we're talking about on the weekends there. So you might need to jump into one of those. With all that said, Psalm 100. I'm going to read the whole thing for us because it's kind of like, poetry, like I said. And so I think where we can, it's good to kind of take it all in at once and then figure it out. So here's what I want to do. I want you, if you would, to if you can, to kind of honor God's word, a simple thing we can do is to stand as, as I read God's word, as, as it's read. So if you would, would you stand together with me as, as I read, if, if you're able to do that? All right, here we go. Psalm 100 verse one, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. And his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. God, would you reveal yourself to us through your word this morning? Thank you that we don't just have to settle for knowing about you. We can know you. Father, we worship you this morning. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this psalm it, we're especially going to sit down on these last two verses, I think. Uh, the title for today's sermon that is already however many minutes in we are. Um, here's the title of this because it's also the takeaway. It's I will say thank you. I will say thank you. I feel like that's the theme of this psalm. It's the one big idea that this week, as you try and make that shift to begin to really engage in God as a person, the challenge from this Psalm will be for you to choose to be thankful to God for who he is and what he has done. And listen, I'm very intentional because I will say thank you. That's a declaration. There There may very well be some other things you want to say to God. All right. And you know what? He can take it. So go ahead. I told you some of the psalms have authors that just seem to be yelling at God at points. What I think our psalm today is telling us is that the more you really get to know God, the more you will be thankful for him. The psalm, this one, is a call. It's a call to God's people to to rise up and with thankful hearts celebrate their wonderful God. Yo, by the way, we planned to do Psalm 100 on January 6th, way before all the events lined up to where this would be the day that we would launch in two locations. What an awesome moment for us to say thank you to God together as a church. Oh, that was pretty awesome the way the Lord timed that. So let's go. Let's get to work. All right. Verse one, walk through it, show you some things. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. The psalm begins with a cry to the whole world. To shout triumphantly, which has also been translated to make a joyful noise. It's evoking this image of a victorious king coming home to a parade where the streets are lined. And there on the street, you hear this joyful noise. It's not somber, right? It's celebration. Y'all, we don't really have in our, in our generation, in our time, a good experience that kind of mirrors this. Because let's be honest. Even if the Charlotte Hornets were to somehow turn this thing around and have a miraculous second half of the season, win the NBA title, and we threw them a parade, right? It's not like in that moment we'd be celebrating victory over a real enemy. You know, it's not like the Golden State Warriors are threatening to declare martial law in Charlotte, round up every Hornet fan, and exile them, which... It's kind of a bad example because there, are, I guarantee, more Steph Curry fans than Hornets fans in Charlotte. But it just, it's not a good parallel. The best I can think of is May 8, 1945, when celebrations erupted around the world as news of the full Nazi surrender started to spread throughout Europe especially. And there in France, Charles de Gaulle was able to tell his people that they were officially victorious over the ones that had captured them. People roared. In celebration. That's the joyful noise here. Tears of freedom from and victory over a real and evil enemy that had once oppressed them. And the psalmist is saying all the earth, because this isn't just news for one people group, for every people group, all the earth, our greatest enemy who is out to destroy everyone on earth. Our greatest enemy has been defeated by our great Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you what thankful people look like. I'm going to show you that here in a second but look, you got to see where Christian thankfulness comes from. See, thankfulness is a celebration that comes from believing God has one hour freedom from sin. Plain and simple. The reason that France celebrates VE Day every year is to remember its freedom. The reason the church all over the world gathers every single week is because each one of us were captives to sin. Romans six tells us we were in bondage. We were slaves to sin to the very thing that would keep us from God. But God seeing our condition did not wait on us to liberate ourselves. We couldn't do that. The enemy was too powerful. We were too weak. So he, God, in the form of Jesus Christ came for us. And he said, he'd go in place of us a king stepping into captivity, willingly into punishment in the place of his people. And the enemy surely thought he won when he killed our king. But what he didn't know is that our king was going to kill death itself. He broke out of the grave and he said, for all who believe they will now also live in freedom from sin now and forevermore. So what we do every week as a church We shout triumphantly to the Lord who has rescued us. So listen, if you're in here, you struggle to be thankful right now. The good news is I want to tell you, you're actually in the right place because every single person around you has got a story, a story of struggle, of times of unbelief, of pain, and some of them have decided to believe that their victory belongs to Jesus. And so we get together once a week and we celebrate God's victory on our behalf. That's what Sunday is. It's our victory day. We say to one another, the tomb that Jesus went into is still empty today. He's alive and so are we. Man, this is kicking off 2019 with, with an amen sermon. Mm. <laughs> Listen, so if you're in there, you're kind of in a struggle to be thankful. The best thing I can do is to point you back to Jesus who says your greatest need, your greatest hurt, it has been answered. So he says, abide in him, abide in his love for you, which leads right to verse two, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Now this is great. Serve the Lord. How do you serve the King? He says with gladness, because we're not begrudging servants. We are children of a God who has rescued us. And so we serve him with gladness. In fact, in the Bible, you won't find much distinction, this is interesting, between serving God and worshiping God. Because serving is an act of worship. Romans 12:1 says, make your body a living sacrifice to God. This is your worship. First Corinthians 10:31, whatever you do, eating or drinking, do to the glory of God. You worship God as you serve God, you do it gladly. I told you, people who know God are, are thankful. And I know that can be abstract sometimes. So as we go through the rest of this, he's showing you how people who know God, how they respond to him. He's showing you what God's people, when they are thankful for him, what they will look like. And here's the first thing. And I'm going to show you some more observations. But listen, thankful people serve God with gladness, serve with gladness. So my question, and that's going to be a lot in this psalm, just kind of letting the psalm analyze you for a second. Do you serve God gladly? Do you have a habit of looking for how you can serve others? And when you serve, are you glad to be doing it? And if not, in a moment, we're going to get to what you do. But, but first, are you answering this call the psalmist is giving? And singing, <laughs> singing is the first part of that. He doubles down on verse 4. He says, enter his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name, praise him. Listen, I don't know how else to say it. The next observation I want you to see is that thankful people sing to God with gladness. Y'all, that's, that's why we sing on the weekends. Our gladness is given words and song often. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. A little known fact, our worship director, Charlie King, was actually in a singing group in college called Psalm 100. And since there are five verses, it was a five-piece boy band, and he danced around. Into, no, I'm sorry. It, He was in a Psalm 100 group, but it was not a five-piece boy band. Um, but, man, they were just singing joyful songs to the Lord. listen. When we sing, we sing in response to our salvation. I love being in a church that has a bunch of songwriters because songs, this is what one guy told me, songs are sermons that people remember, right? right? So we sing songs as a church. We do sing some from church history, and then we write new ones reflecting on God's work here and now. And I love it because that's what the church, that's what God's people do. We sing. So this one, this one's easy, all right? Some of you come in here and it's like, You've been waiting all week to get in here and sing and you just get after it. And I love it. Now, others, others of you I'm wondering about because you just don't appear to be glad to be here. And look, if you're not a Christian, let me go and say, I'm not talking to you. All right. I don't expect you to sing to a God that you don't believe in, that you're just trying to figure out. All right. I'm not talking to you. But if you're a professing Christian and you spend your time with God's people with your arms crossed and your brow really furrowed, I mean, maybe that's gladness. But I'm not believing it. Here's all I'm saying. Your king has won the victory. Jesus is alive. You have been set free. And the church gathering is God's victory parade. So celebrate like it. Now, let me say something to you who are hurting. Sometimes hurting people can feel like they need to isolate themselves because they can't bring themselves to sing, to be a part of a a gathering. But listen, the opposite is true. You don't need isolation. What you need is the singing of others to carry your song for a little while. So to anyone who may be listening to this, maybe you're even listening to this like on a podcast because a friend sent it to you, it's okay. It's even good for your soul to come with all that pain and let others carry you for a little while. Let's go to verse three. He says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. And we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. This one, when I was thinking about it, it seems like it should be the first one, right? And maybe it should, but it's here in the middle of this song to make sure that we know who is who. All right? The Lord, the one who made us, he's God. And we are sheep. And listen, him calling us sheep is no accident. There are a lot of parallels between people and sheep. Sheep follow wherever the herd is going. They are timid. They are easily frightened. They are notorious creatures of habit. If left to themselves, they will follow the same trails until they become ruts. They will graze on the same hills until they become desert wastes. Sheep are pitiful and hopeless without a shepherd. Y'all, that's us. Wandering with our head down from thing to thing, stubbornly set in our ways, in desperate need of the protection of a shepherd listen to me. You're not God. You are not God. You are a sheep. And the good news is you have a shepherd, right? Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they they comfort me. That's shepherd language. Here's the very simple point, y'all. Thankful people submit themselves to God. And so the question genuinely is, who is in charge of you? I, well, this is hard, but to know God, to know God is to submit to God as your shepherd, not your advice giver, not your buddy, but the one in charge of your life telling you where to go because he knows best. And I know submitted to God can be a little abstract, but maybe here's a litmus test to figure out how you're doing with that. Let me ask you a question. How do you react deep down to the idea of submitting to anybody. Let's go even deeper. How do you handle correction? Not talking about like random Facebook fights that you should never begin, all right? I'm saying when someone close to you who you trust points something out that's that's corrective, do you push it back? Do you make excuses? For married people, what if your spouse lovingly corrects you? Can you receive that? y'all, let's just be, let me be transparent. I love being right. I do not like being corrected. And as a college student, really most of my twenties, anytime I was corrected by someone, I would very quickly create in my head a multi-pronged defense that proved that I was right. And they just didn't understand. Well, you know what that was? It was my pride fear that I would be identified as a failure. And when a good friend finally challenged me on it, I realized, y'all, not only was I not willing to be truly corrected by anyone else, I wasn't willing to be corrected even by God himself because God was trying to use those other people. But my pride blinded me to that. Listen, thankful people submit themselves to God. And as a result, they're often humble people, not perfect, but striving towards that image of Christ who submitted to God, the father. Y'all listen, these first four verses were all very action heavy, right? Shout, sing, acknowledge, enter, give thanks, but not verse five. Not the way he closes it. No commands here. Just a summary of the goodness of the character of God. Look at verse five. The Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. The psalmist calls us to all those things in the first four verses because because the Lord is good I want you to see here this is person language the psalmist is using even the personal pronoun his faithful love when he says his faithful love endures forever he's making a claim grounded in a whole lot of personal experience he knows the history of Israel as well who had experienced God's faithful love in the wilderness and again after being in the promised land and his faithful love listen to me it doesn't go away when you fail him. So you could hear all these things and there's a, it's easy to leave under the burden of guilt. I got to be all these things. And what the Psalmist says is no, 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 no. The Lord is faithful to you. You are a sheep. You will wander. The Lord is faithful. He has saved us because of his faithful love. Look, sheep don't earn the shepherd's love. They are constant recipients that's you and me. God has come, paid for our sin, and rescued us, and remains with us. And the practice of being thankful for that, God, for his love, that's what unlocks God's power in your life. Let me, let me try and explain how thankfulness starts to, to really reveal that power, unlock that power. All right, Let me try and explain that through a common struggle a lot of Christians face. A lot of Christians feel like they cannot overcome lust. Lust is just too powerful. I'm going to tell you something. You know what's stronger than lust? Thankfulness. See, let me give you an example from scripture. In Genesis, there's a story of this guy named Joseph. And he's tried. this woman who is Potiphar's wife, his boss's wife, tries to seduce him. Now, he explains why he doesn't succumb to her advances. Here's what he says. He says, behold, because of me, my master, talking about Potiphar, has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything for me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph received Potiphar's remarkable favor on him as a gift from God. Gratitude was occupying so much space in his heart that there was not enough room for the ingratitude of sexually sinning with Potiphar's wife. Now I want you to look at your own experience. If you think back, you likely have not indulged in lust when your heart has felt full of thankfulness to God. Why? Why? That's because lust is a form of coveting, which is the fruit of ingratitude. It's a desire for something you want, but don't have, or you can't have. It's a desire for something. God's not provided for you or has forbidden you from. So lust being a form of ingratitude is just not compatible with gratitude. I mean, just simple logic. They can't cohabitate the same space to one or the other. And listen, thankfulness becomes the stronger power. In the moment lust might feel powerful and thankfulness might feel meek but that's usually because you stop preaching verse 5 from the psalm to yourself. When thankfulness is truly present, lust is no match for it. Look, here's my point. Thanksgiving is not merely a nice Christian character trait. It is a sin conquering force. Gratitude, thankfulness is both a, it's a vital indicator of the health of our soul, but it is a Powerful defender of our soul. Which means, y'all, we should intentionally cultivate a healthy, happy habit of thanksgiving. Because it's so powerful. It might be subtle, but it's so powerful. It's what we experience when we perceive that we have, we've received this undeserved gift of God's grace. It's a fruit of humility. It's inherently unselfish. We don't feel true gratitude ever towards ourselves, not true gratitude, but only towards someone else who treats us better than we deserve. That's how Joseph felt being entrusted as Potiphar's chief steward. See, sins like sexual lust, however, they are a fruit of pride. They're inherently selfish exploiting others for our own narcissistic purposes. That's how Potiphar's wife felt looking at the attractive Hebrew house slave. Pride always looks more powerful than humility on the outside, but in reality, it's not. It's not even close. Humility is stronger than pride, just like heaven is stronger than hell, like the cross was stronger than the Roman Empire, like the resurrection and life was stronger than the grave. In the same way, thankfulness is stronger than lust and serving God is stronger than exploiting people for yourself. The more that thankfulness is present in us, the less vulnerable we will be to sin. So where do we start with all this? How do we cultivate a Psalm 100 life? Look, y'all, I'd love to give you four easy steps, but that just ain't real. The reality is cultivating thankfulness is hard soul work. It's worth it. I promise the power of it is unmatched, but it's hard and it's hard because it'll be habit forming. It's hard because we are much better complainers than we are worshipers. But look, how about this? I'll give you a couple of places to start, but it's just a start. Here's maybe a couple of starters for becoming thankful. The first is find a way to say thank you today. Begin to train yourself to daily look for God's graces Courtney and I were talking about this over the course of this week, and I was like, man, what, what keeps us from being thankful? And one thing she pointed out was that tunnel vision keeps us from being thankful. We're so focused on our problems or circumstances that we miss the graces of God that are all around us. So commit yourself, and I'd suggest do this with a couple other people, to find something to be thankful to God about today. Y'all, I'm in a group text with the, the men in my community group, and every single day, one of those guys is sending something to the group that they are thankful to God for. Uh, maybe it's just an observation from scripture about who God is. But y'all, it is the most inspiring and encouraging thing in my life right now. It's awesome. And it's just simple observation of God's daily gifts to us. Uh, here's another one. I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but I know there are people that really need to grab hold of this. Let some others sing for you for a while. Listen, especially if you feel like your experience right now is not matching up with the truth that God's love is faithful and God's love is forever. Like you know, the Bible says it, but you're not seeing it and it hurts. Maybe it's even swallowing you right now. You want to isolate yourself. I'm telling you, you've actually never needed God's people more. So don't run. Just sit and let their voices. Because every person, even on a weekend, I'm talking beyond the weekend, of course. But even on a weekend, when you're sitting beside someone who is singing, that's a sermon that they're singing of God's faithfulness to them. And you just need to let their voice carry your hope. And that is what the church does for one another. Not just in song on the weekend, but in community and life on life with one another. Here's the last one for now. It's kind of the way, really, I guess, verse 2. Sing. Sing. And serve. There's a reason the psalmist calls us to this, so I implore you to serve somebody, just like Christ served you. See if you don't find that you actually start to begin to be thankful there. And when we sing in here, or when you, wherever sing, don't hold back. Get after it. And beyond just singing a song on the weekend, listen. Share the gospel with someone. Sing publicly, so to speak. You will find such thankfulness in your own faith the more you share the hope of God with others who don't have it. The more you realize how kind God has been to you. So who is the way we say a lot of of times around here, who is your one person? One person who is far from God, but close to you. How can you sing about the glory of God to them sometime this year, sometime maybe in the month of January? Y'all listen, I want to close this way if you're not a follower of Christ, I want to implore you, hopefully as you hear and you have heard this morning about this great God who has set us free from sin, that's something that you don't have that victory right now. I want to call you to receive the grace of God today. You do not have to wait. You might, maybe you've been fighting with God and maybe you're in here trying to figure this whole thing out. And that was part of it, whether it's a New Year's resolution or just you're trying to figure it out for whatever reason whatever circumstance God has brought you here today, do not delay. Give your life to Christ and you will find the freedom and the thankfulness and the peace of the soul and the power of God that we've been talking about. In fact, let me, let's close in prayer. Let me pray for you. And we do this a lot as we pray. Everybody's head is bowed, eyes are closed. If you are not a follower of Christ, I want to give you the chance right now, today, 2019, January 6th. Today is the day that you finally give your life to him. There is a reason God brought you here today and this is it. And it's this, it's this simple. Remember you're a sheep. You can't earn your way. You can't impress your way to God's salvation, to his love. He's extended it and offered it to you. And all you have to do, is receive it. You pray something like this, God, I admit that I've been running from you. I've been a sinner, which just means I've chosen my ways over your ways. But today I'm giving you my life. I'm coming home. I receive what Christ did on the cross for me. I believe he died in my place and I celebrate that. I celebrate that he got out of the grave. And has given me new life. God, I pray for those men and women making that decision right now. I pray for our church. That we would be a thankful people. That the anthem of Mercy Church would be uh, not any pride in ourselves, but thankfulness to a good, faithful God whose love endures forever. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.